0: Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Well, I hope you enjoyed our first postseason wrap-up episode. The episode actually did really good. I've got a ton of listens out there, a ton of plays. So thank you for everybody that enjoyed that episode. Uh, you know, it was really a fun way of approaching the first look at the 2021 season and answering some of those questions. So... I hope you enjoyed the episode. Now, we got to move on. We got to talk some big picture storylines here. We have to talk about pitching. Next episode, we'll do hitting. We'll go through the whole lineup. Right now, this episode, I want to talk to you specifically about pitching. Then we're going to talk about some Indians legends that passed away and finally wrap this episode up with a look at what's going on right now in the postseason. So, let's talk Indians pitching for the 2021 season because there was a big storylines that prevailed throughout the course of the season. And number one, by far the biggest storyline of this season was the Indians' injuries. I hate to say it, but it was the Indians' injuries. Now, not just the fact that they had so many starters get injured, but it was the fact that those injuries led to opportunities for some young players. Now we already talked last episode about Cal Quantrill and Tristan McKenzie. Quantrill was absolutely fantastic after the All Star break, and if you if you want to hear my thoughts on Quantrill and McKenzie, please go back and listen to the last episode uh, that we did last weekend. But Quantrill was fantastic after the All Star break. McKenzie did have his moments this season where he struggled but also had moments where he really put together some things and put together some fantastic outings. So both of those guys, obviously very excited uh, with what they were able to finally do in 2021. It didn't start that well for either of them. I don't think that's how either of them saw the season starting, but the way they finished things, uh, it was pretty exciting for both of them. Now, what the injuries did, the injuries to Plesak, the injuries to Savali, and the injuries to Shane Bieber, what it did was open the way for some other starters. And that's my stop, my top storyline here with this pitching staff. The opportunity for some of the young starters and to see, is this Cleveland Indians pitching factory, is it as relentless, is it as good as some of the other ones around baseball, right? Because we're not the only ones that can boast this. I mean, even the Chicago White Sox proved what they can do with pitching and some of their their young pitchers, even though they got a lot of contributions from some veterans like Lance Lynn and Darren, uh, Dallas Keuchel, um, they also got a lot of contributions from some of their young guys. Tampa Bay obviously uh is probably the most well-known pitching factory because they will shuttle guys out left and right they'll they'll give away guys just to bring new guys in and every one of them throws 100 miles per hour and uh you know unfortunately they had an injury to their ace which really hurt them right they didn't have an ace going into the playoffs they were relying on guys that had made a handful of starts in the major leagues to start playoff games for them. All right, but we're here to talk about the Indians. We're here to talk about the Indians starting pitchers and what those injuries did for guys like Sam Henches, for J.C. Mejia, for Eli Morgan, and uh, for Logan Allen. Now, Logan Allen earned himself a spot in the rotation to start the season, uh, the fifth starter, but those injuries allowed him to keep coming back and keep getting more opportunities. And frankly... I think the storyline of this is it didn't go well for really any of those four guys, right? The Indians pitching factory couldn't just call a guy out from the minors and turn him into the all-star the way they did with Shane Bieber. It wasn't hit the ground running the way it was for Savali and Plesak and for Clevenger before that. No, they hit some struggles this year. They hit some real roadblocks this year. Uh, As far as their rankings go across Major League Baseball, and we're going to get into some individual stats, but across Major League Baseball, uh, looking over on fan graphs, the starting pitching, just the starters here. I'm not talking about the relievers, just the starters. When it comes to war, the Cleveland Indians starters were 23rd in all of baseball. At 7.1 war, wins above replacement. That is brutal. The Dodgers and Milwaukee Brewers were 1-2 with over 20 war. So you could see how far behind the Indian starters were. When we look at some of the advanced stats, you know, obviously, uh, let's look at ERA. Let's just look at the simple stats, ERA. We'll get that out of the way. The Indians come in at... 23rd in all of baseball with a 4.84 ERA. The best in baseball, the Dodgers in Milwaukee again. All right. So, what about strikeouts? That's something that the Indians are known for, right? Ks per 9 innings. Well, the Indians come in, their starters come in at 20th in baseball at 8.22 strikeouts per 9 innings, whereas the Dodgers and the White Sox lead the way. Uh San Diego third there. A lot of teams over nine strikeouts per inning. The Indians, that is way down for them. I mean, this is a team. Remember, when they had Kluber and Clevenger and Bauer, they were striking out guys like crazy. That was what they that's what they competed over. That's what they built this starting rotation around. Strikeouts, strikeouts, strikeouts. Um, obviously Shane Bieber being out for a while hurt that. But those numbers are way down. Um, some of the other things, the whip, the walks hits per innings pitched. Again, bottom of the league here. Bottom half of the league, they come in at 14th. So right in the middle of the pack. Sorry, not bottom of the league in that one. At 1.27 whip. Uh, ERA minus. Now, we've talked a lot about plus stats, but we don't talk too much about minus stats. Minus are what you would assume the inverse of plus stats. The league average is set to 100, and you want to be a low 100 on this one. The Dodgers were the best in baseball at minus 70, or 72 ERA minus. Milwaukee, right in Chicago, White Sox right behind them. The Indians come in at 21st in baseball at 111 ERA minus, which means collectively balanced for, you know, uh, taking park factors out of it and things like that. Uh, It shows you how far below league average they are at 111 at 21st in baseball. So the pitching staff, starting pitching staff, was below average, and it's because guys like Mejia and Henches and Logan Allen and Eli Morgan struggled. They struggled in their first taste of the minors, and I want to talk about these guys. I mean, it is a lot of blue in their percentile ranking on Baseball Savant. It is a lot. I mean, J.C. Mejia is in single digits for tons of stats, including hard hit percentage, six percentile. Expected weighted on base percentage, 5th percentile. Expected ERA, 5th percentile. Expected batting average, 8th percentile. These guys were way down in a lot of these stats. And uh, it's a brutal season for J.C. Mejia. The one thing I think we can hang our hat on his fans is his slider. I told you this earlier in the season. I think his slider is fantastic. I think... The two seam sinker ball that he throws is garbage, and it got hit for a 366 batting average. The expecting batting average was 354. So it shows you that's pretty close to the, the true number. The expected was close to the true. It means it was a pretty true number. Uh, I mean, they slugged 624 off of his sinker fastball, but the slider had a 128 batting average against. They only slugged 319. Off of that slider. It had a whiff rate of 41.7%. That's Shane Bieber territory when it comes to whiff rate. So, the thing I see for JC Mejia is if he gets a chance to pitch out of the bullpen, what is he going to pair with that slider? If he's a starter, how does he start to bring some of his other pitches up to the level of his slider? Uh, And what does he do for a fastball? Does he stick with a sinker? Or do they move him off the sinker? He did throw a four-seam fastball. Not as much. Mostly to lefties. Um, almost two, uh, two-thirds two of the four-seam fastballs he threw were to lefties. So clearly there was something there. But they hit 310 off of it. So not that great. Neither the four-seam fastball or the sinker really worked for him. Now, it could have been a location thing. But the slider seems to be a go-to pitch. So if I'm the Indians pitching coaches, that's what I'm working around this offseason. I'm saying we have got to figure out something to pair with this slider and how do we propel this slider up? You know, How do we make it known? uh, How do we make it one of the most dominant pitches that we can in this guy's arsenal? Uh, So continuing to improve that slider and figuring out what goes with it, what pairs nicely off it, what tunnels with it, Right? Do, obviously, this is not something I can easily look up here, but do the sinker or the forcing fastball tunnel well off of that slider? And that's what we're talking about in that is when the pitch comes out of the pitcher's hand, you know, how long do they look like the same pitch before they break on their paths? And it's something, if you follow some of these pitching Twitter accounts, you'll see the GIFs and the little highlight clips that they put up all the time where they'll put two pitches next to each other. And a sinker, a two-seam sinker and a slider are the perfect ones to put up next to each other because they come down the same tunnel until they break. And that slider sweeps across the other batter's box. And that sinker zips in underneath that right-handed hitter's hands. So it's a question of, you know, really figuring out what pairs with a slider. For Sam Henches, also a struggle. Ninth percentile unexpected weighted on expected weighted on-base percentage. ninth percentile on expected ERA. Uh, expected batting average 16th. A lot of blue numbers here again for Sam Henches. Were any of his pitches working? Were any of his pitches effective? Well, a huge batting average off his fastball. They hit 403 off of his fastball. My God, 403 batting average off of his fastball. The slider was working for him a little bit. It had a whiff rate of 41.8%, but it had a batting average of 309. So that means if they weren't missing it, they were crushing it or they were hitting it, in, you know, hitting it obviously for hits, uh, obviously in play for hits. So that's not good. Uh, the expected batting average on that was only 235. So maybe there was a little bit of luck in, Involved there with that 309 batting average against a slider, but yeah, so it's the fastball curveball slider. He did throw a sinker a little bit and he did, he only threw six changeups, so that's a bit of an outlier there. Uh, so for Sam Henches, yeah, it was a struggle watching him all year. Didn't it feel like he just had no command of the edges of the plate? It felt like everything was down the middle. Or it was missing, right? He was missing across the zone, just pounding way too much stuff inside. I still feel like this guy could be effective out of the bullpen. I feel like he could be an Andrew Miller type out of the bullpen one day. There's a good whiff rate on that slider, 41.8%. There's a good whiff rate on that curveball, 32.8%. It's just a matter of uh, you know, figuring out how to attack the zone at the major league level. Like, you might be able to get away with attacking the zone more in the middle of the plate down in AAA, but not at the Major League level. They will hammer you. And it was a struggle for Sam Henches all season. For Eli Morgan, the uh, percentile rankings don't look much better. Tons of blue. Expected weighted on base percentage, 16th percentile. Expected ERA, 16th percentile. Expected slugging, 4th. Barrel percentage, 4th. The only thing he did well is walk rate was 85th percentile. So at least he controlled the base passes that way by limiting the walks. Now, obviously, we know he's a little bit of a light throwing guy, uh, but he uh, he held his own here. He had a five and seven record with a five, three, four ERA. Obviously, we've talked about it every time Eli Morgan pitches that ERA gets inflated, gets ballooned because of that terrible start in Toronto, the hurricane game where he gives up six runs and two and two thirds innings. It ballooned his ERA up to a 2.25 that he had to start the season with. And he slowly worked that ERA down the entire year. So, uh, yeah, for Eli Morgan, it was a fort unfortunate way to start. What pitches were working for him in this one, uh, in this season, it looks like his best pitch as far as whiff rate goes is going to be the slider again. Lots of sliders from these young Indians. 30.9% whiff rate. Uh, as far as batting average goes, they hit 280 off that slider. They hit 283 off his fastball. The changeup is the pitch he's known for. It didn't have the whiff rate, and he threw it more to lefties than he did righties, threw the slider way more to righties than he did lefties. Um, didn't have quite the whiff rate on that changeup that you would expect from this pitch you've heard a lot about. It was his highest percentage for put-away pitches, 21.1% put-away percentage, which means getting outs with that pitch, but only a 25.4% whiff rate on that pitch. So, They only hit 174 against it, so I guess it was a little bit as advertised that changeup, and there were definitely moments where he was on and he was really locating it and it was hard to hit, and there was moments where he was just getting hammered, absolutely hammered. For Logan Allen, it was pretty much a disaster of a season. Gets a chance to start in the rotation, and then after a couple of starts, just completely loses command. Changed his windup. Went down to the minors and changed his windup. Came back with a completely different, at least, setup. I don't know if the actual windup, if the actual step, the plant, the follow through are any different, but the setup to his windup was different, at least. And it did not help. First percentile. That's not good. You want to be 99th percentile, 100th percentile. You don't want to be first percentile. That means you're the worst in baseball. First percentile expected weighted on base percentage, first percentile in expected ERA, second percentile in expected slugging percentage. Uh, yeah, that is a lot of bad blue numbers for Logan Allen. Now, uh, were any pitches working for him? Uh, no, they hammered everything. The lowest batting average were off his slider and changeup, where they hit 250 off of those pitches, they hit over 300 on his four seamer, on his curveball, on his sinker. Uh, yeah, it's brutal. Uh, The whiff rate, the, uh, the sinker is an outlier. He only threw it 11 times. Uh, really not a great whiff rate. I guess the highest would be the slider. Again, slider at 26.9% whiff rate. So, it was not a good season for Logan Allen. And the command, I mean, it was a disaster. It really was. This guy, he's got to go back to AAA. He's got to... Figure that out. That's up to him at this point. Figuring out how to command these pitches. What wind-up works for him. Obviously, he's gotten to this point. He looked filthy in, tri- in, uh, in spring training. And it just did not translate. It didn't come over. The command just was not there. So, uh, that's four young players that all have significant strides that they're going to have to make if they want to make any kind of impact at the major league level. I think Mejia and Henches probably have the best shot of making impact in the bullpen first, then maybe getting an opportunity to start down the road. They both have things they do well that could play out of the bullpen. Right? They could come in, JC Mejia could come in and be effective against a couple of righties. Henches, I don't know. As far as let's see what his splits were against the lefties and the righties here. Uh lefties he had a 1.3 whip against lefties. He had a one nine four whip against righties. So he didn't face many lefties. He only faced 73 lefties because whenever he would start, they would just load the lineup up with righties. So maybe out of the bullpen and strategic spots, he gets more chances against lefties. Maybe he can improve some of these numbers. So that's what I see from those guys overall compared to the rest of the starters. I mean, it's brutal. Uh, ERA plus, we talked about ERA minus before, baseball reference likes ERA plus, so this is the opposite, you want to be over 100 in this situation, below 100 means below league average, Eli Morgan was at an 82 ERA plus, Sam Henches was at a 66 ERA plus, JC Mejia was at a 53 ERA plus, plus. and uh, where'd Logan Allen go? Where'd you go, Logan Allen? There you are, a 70 ERA plus. Mejia was actually the worst of the four. So, top storyline right there, the young starters struggled. And that ultimately buried us in the season, right? That long losing streak, you know, a lot of that is attributed to these starters barely being able to make it out of two, three innings. Some of them couldn't even make it out of the first inning of some of these starts. It was really bad. There were some really, really bad starts throughout this season. They all had moments, though. They all had moments where they looked like they had something, where they looked like there was something that Francona and Carl Willis are going to be able to squeeze out of them. How they develop and grow, that obviously is on them. The work they put in, the work they put into figuring out, commanding the baseball. I think they all have stuff, but command was a problem for all of them, except for maybe Eli Morgan. So, yeah. That is what's going on. That was the top storyline, I think, of the 2021 season. Was these young starters. Now, the veteran starters, the veteran starters, most of them had a, a veteran starters. They like they have like two, three years in the league, and I'm calling veteran starters because that's the situation that Antonetti and Chernoff put us in. They did not go out and get any established veteran to kind of anchor the bullpen, anchor the rotation. It was on Shane Bieber's shoulders. It was on Savali and Plesak. Guys that are still figuring it out, frankly, at the major league level. Savali redid everything coming into this season, and it worked. 12-5 and on the season with a 3 4 ERA, leading the league in wins at one point before he gets injured. Plesak, not the same. He did finish 10-6, and but he had a 4 6 ERA. He had some big struggles this season. There were some really bad starts. Um... As far as hits per nine innings go, uh, between Bieber, by the way, seven and four on the season with a 317 ERA, uh, Bieber was him and Savali were both at 7.8 hits per nine. Plesak was up at 8.9, 8.6 hits per nine. Uh, As far as giving up home runs go, uh, Savali was actually the worst at 1.7 home runs per nine. Plesak was next at 1.5 home runs per nine. Bieber was at 1.0. And, of course, strikeouts per nine. You know Bieber is the best at this. Bieber is one of the best in baseball at getting those strikeouts. 12.5 strikeouts per nine. Savali was next at 7.2. Plesak's only at 6.3 strikeouts per nine. He's just not a huge strikeout guy. Uh, Quantrill was better at 7.3. McKenzie was up at 10.2. Even Eli Morgan was at 8.2 strikeouts per nine. And that shows you, you know, Plesak is not someone who's going to come in the game and just blow people away. That's not his game. Uh, So, yeah. So, what was working for those guys this season? Uh, Bieber, obviously, just blowing people away. He did get hard hit a little bit. Um, Had a hard hit percentage. He's always had a hard hit percentage in the 40% since 2019 season he was at 38 percent in 2018 43.3 hard hit percentage in 2019 and 2020 was still at 43.1 in 2021 he was up at 43.6 so the hardest he's been hit in his career but he balances that out with a k percentage of uh 33.1 this season down from 41.1 last season You'll see that a lot of things were down for him a little bit from that Cy Young season, right? The barrel percentage went from 7.2 up to 9%. The hard hit percentage went up a few ticks there. Um, Some of the even just the standard stats, right? His whip was a 0.87 last year. It was up to a 1.21 this year. Uh, So he did get hit a little bit harder. Uh, He did give up. He only made, because of the injury, he only made four more starts than he did in all of 2020. Yet he gave up almost 40 more hits, almost twice as many hits, 46 hits in 2020. Gave up 84 hits in 2021. So really was hit a lot harder. Gave up almost twice as many runs. uh, Gave up a few more walks. I don't know if the walk ratio's how they compare it to last year, 21 walks to 33 walks. And it's 122 strikeouts in 2020 to 134 strikeouts in 2021. So the strikeouts were down a little bit. I mean, if you factor in that's four more starts and it's only 12 more strikeouts. So, yeah, uh, that is the reason why that whip went up. So, Bieber, now the hard part is we don't know how much of this is due to the shoulder fatigue. We don't know how much of this is due to the injury. So, we're just going to have to see the, what he comes back with. I mean, he was still an all-star season for him. He was still, like we said, one of the best strikeout guys in all of baseball. So, we'll see what Bieber comes back with. For Savali, uh, the, the actual percentile rankings, the expected stats aren't frankly that good. In the 25th percentile, in expected weighted on base percentage. 25th percentile, in expected ERA. This guy just knew how to go out there and win baseball games, though. Especially that first half of the season. If we look at the month by month, in April he's four and zero with a two nine four ERA, a zero point nine two WHIP. In uh, May he is three and two, a little bit more struggle, uh, three point five seven ERA. The WHIP climbs up to one point one nine, so not as dominant of a month in May. In June, though, goes back to 3-0 with a 3.42 ERA. Gets the whip back down at 1.06. And, uh, yeah, and then comes back and pitches in September. Now it was a little bit of struggle coming back from the injury. I'm going to leave that as an outlier. I don't think that's really a fair judgment of the season he had. Uh, Pretty dominant before the injury in June. So, a Savali, I think he definitely found something with that new approach, with that new wind up. I mean, when you're leading baseball in wins, there's something to be said there. I know win is not the stat that we measure all pitchers with now, but it is still an important stat because you got to win the games. You want to make the playoffs, you got to win the games, and Savali was getting wins. For Plisac, uh. The percentile rankings for him, again, are in the blue. Not very good. 30th percentile and expected weighted on base percentage. 30th percentile and expected ERA. 18th percentile and expected slugging. The barrel percentage off him was 9.4. The heart hit rate off him was 43.4. Up almost 10% from last season. uh, From 33.1 to 43.4. And the K percentage actually went down. From twenty-seven point seven to sixteen point seven, so he goes from he gets hit harder and striking out less guys. That's not a good combination. At least last year he was the num one top one percent in walks, two point nine percent for walks. Now he's up to five point seven percent walks. So you're walking more, you're getting hit harder. It's not going to turn out to be a very good season. Uh, a difference between this year and last year. Last year, his slider was dominant 0.69. Sorry, not 0.69, 0.069 batting average against his slider. It climbs to a one nine one batting average against. So not a huge increase there. Uh, The thing that did get hit harder was his changeup. And he decided to throw it a lot more this season. It was his third most thrown pitch last year. He only threw it 196 times mostly to left-handed, more than 50% of the time he was throwing it to left-handed hitters. Same thing, still stuck with it to lefties, almost you know, three times as much to lefties than righties. But uh, he threw it the second most of any pitch. He threw it more than the slider, and it got hit, frankly, more than it did last season. It went from having a 125 batting average against to a 241 batting average against. It went from having a whiff rate of 35.6% to a whiff rate of 21.1%. So, there you go. There's some simple numbers that explain a big change for Zach Plesac. So, that's what was going on with the veteran starters. I think it's a shame. I think it's a real shame that they didn't add an actual veteran into the group to help with this pitching staff. It would have been a real bonus to have somebody who's been doing it for a long time. They do it in their bullpen all the time, right? They had Brian Shaw and Blake Parker out there. They didn't do it with the starting rotation. And instead, they had to lean on these young guys, and it shows. We went from being one of the best starting pitching staffs in baseball to being below middle of the pack, right, in the bottom, bottom 10. So coming up next year, we're going to talk about what this staff could look like next year. There's still a lot of promise here. There still is a ton of talent here. It just didn't work in 2021. Absolutely not. All right. So that was a long conversation about the starters. What about the relievers? Let's go back to fan graphs and see how the relievers did against the rest of the league here. And the numbers are going to look a little bit better. When we look at our old friend, War, wins above replacement, this time for the relievers, we come in middle of the pack. 3.2 WAR, 16th in baseball. The best in baseball was Tampa Bay at 7.9, followed by the White Sox at 7.8. As far as ERA goes, we'll keep it simple. Uh, The Cleveland Indians bullpen ERA comes in 6th in baseball at a 3.64. San Francisco Giants were the best at this at 2.99. All right, what about some of our old friends like strikeouts per nine? The Indians' bullpen keep up the strikeouts the way they did in previous years. Yeah, ninth in baseball. 9.83 strikeouts per nine. Milwaukee and Chicago were the best at this. Over 10 strikeouts per nine. So, all right, the Indians' pitching staff did pretty good there. Um, As far as home runs per nine, though, that's the one I'm worried about. Home runs per nine because I remember... I remember the Indians giving up a lot of home runs out of the bullpen. Well, turns out, eh, just below middle of the pack. 1.18 home runs per nine. The best was St. Louis at 0.79 home runs per nine, followed by Miami. Those were two teams I didn't expect to see at the top of any of these leaderboards. So that's how they compare against the rest of the league um, in some different categories just to give you a picture of how the Indians' bullpen did. Now, the top storyline for me in this bullpen was probably the dominance of some of the young starters versus the struggles of some of the veterans, right? Were the veterans helping or hurting? Were the rookies, the young guys, helping or hurting? And in this, the young guys obviously helping were Emmanuel Classe. I mean... Probably the best reliever on the staff. A dominant season. We've been hearing about it for two years because, unfortunately, he loses all of 2020 because of PEDs. Not a fan of that. That's hard. That's hard. You want to root for a guy, but to know that he – I'm someone who doesn't believe – I don't believe in it. I don't believe in taking PEDs. I don't believe trying to get an advantage like that. It's just – it doesn't sit well with me. I'm someone who believes in working hard. You want to get the advantage, work harder than the other guy. I don't like the PED things, but we don't know the full story behind it. We still, honestly, he was suspended for an entire season. Do you really know the full story behind it? No. Was he trying to come back from injury? Was he just trying to gain an advantage, gain more velocity? I I don't know. But anyways, uh, he came out and he was dominant. Uh, He goes 4-5 and on the season with a 129 ERA, but the real story is 24 saves. Uh, really did a good job in seventy-one games, um, and fifty-one games finished. Man, they threw him out there any time he they had the lead, didn't they? Just any time they could be up seven to two, and they were putting them in, especially when Demarlo Hale took over. He wasn't taking a chance on any lead. Uh, he had an ERA plus. Remember, league ever set to hundred, you know, park factors all evened out. He had an ERA plus of three forty. 3.40 blows away anybody else on the team. Remember, Bieber was only at a one three nine ERA+. Plus. Uh, the fielding independent pitching was at 2.11. That's great. A FIP, you've heard it talked about maybe. That is the true outcomes. That's strikeouts, walks, and home runs. The things the pitcher has full control over. Uh, 2.11, it's made to look like ERA. So if it sounds like a good ERA, it's a good FIP. His walks, hits per innings, pitch were under 1, Uh Strikeouts per 9 were up at 9.6. Not a big strikeout guy. I mean, 9.6 is very good, but, I mean, Karinchek was up at a 12.7. Uh, even Phil Mayton was up at a 3.3. Nick Sandlin was up at a 12.8. Uh, Klasse, you know, for as hard as he throws, was only down at 9.6 because he's a ground ball guy. You might be able to... Get geared up for a hundred and mile per hour, hundred and one, hundred and two mile per hour cutter, but you ain't going to be able to make good contact with it. Chances are you're ending up hitting a ground ball to second base. Didn't feel like every game ended with a ground ball to second base, uh, so yeah. The strikeouts happened when he started to use the slider more, but definitely a ground ball pitcher. Uh, Karen check the other big arm there. Wow, it started good, and then that sticky stuff band came in, and it got bad. He started walking guys, he started giving up home runs, it got real bad. For 12.7 strikeouts per nine, Check pairs that with 5.2 walks per nine, the highest of any of the main relievers. So it's something we've always lived with with check because he could then turn around and strike out the next three guys, but it hurt him this season. Once he started giving up home runs, it really hurt him this season. I mean, he finishes with a 1.211 whip. He finishes with a 4.31 FIP, right? So there you could see how bad it was, the things he could control. A 108 ERA plus, a 407 ERA. He did have 11 saves, uh, obviously splitting saves early with Class a. So it's probably not the season that Karen check wanted. Finishes seven and four as the actual record. I feel like a couple of those were the old blown save win. Ooh, that's a weird one. The old you blow it in the ninth inning, but your team comes back and gets it back in the bottom of the ninth, so you end up with the blown save win. I don't know if that's something you want. So, Karinchek goes down, works in AAA, and apparently has. That's that's exactly what he should do. If he's not using the sticky stuff anymore, he's he had to go down figure out how to command those pitches and try to keep the spin rate while down there in the minor leagues and come back and see what he could do. So Karinczyk is still a work in progress. There are absolutely no guarantees on that guy for next season. Uh, We all hope he can bring it back. We hope that the spin rate can get close to what it was when he was using allegedly, supposedly, maybe from a fan perspective. I'm guessing, yeah, using the sticky stuff. Uh so yeah, the Karanchek's got some work to put in this offseason. Now, there's nothing that says he can't. Obviously, there are a lot of things he can work on now. I mean, he has a very clear objective this offseason. Uh, working on that spin rate naturally and seeing what he can do coming into the next season. Then you got the veteran. Uh well, you know, stick with the young guys. Let's stick with the young guys because I want to talk about Nick Sandlin and Justin Garza a little bit, but Sandlin in particular. The side armor before he got hurt, and you hope he comes back clean and healthy next season. He was one and one, but he had a 294 ERA on the season in 33 innings pitched. He had an ERA plus of 150, really good. Had a FIP of 2.96, really good. A whip of 1129, 1.129, pretty darn good. The strikeouts per nine, like we said, up at 12.8. Yeah, he gave up a few walks. walks per nine. He gave up a few walks, but his hits per nine were down at 5.6, the best of anyone in the bullpen of the main contributors. And his home runs per nine were at 0.5. The only one better was Emmanuel Classe. He was at 0.3. So these two guys at the end of the game, you better figure out how to get a rally going against them because you're not hitting a walk-off home run off these guys. Samlin leading into Classe next year. And wherever Karen falls in that really could be one of the best back ends in baseball. Uh, I thought Sandlin was fantastic this season, and I can't wait to see him come back healthy in 2022. Now, the veterans uh, Justin Garza, I, I, he was all right this season. Uh, he had a 5.3 FIP, he did give up some home runs, 1.6 home runs per nine and some walks, 5.7 walks per nine. Uh, But he gave us some quality innings. There were moments, but it was mostly low leverage situations for the young guy. So I have no idea where Garza fits in this mix for next year. Um, The veteran guys, Shaw, Wickren, and Blake Parker. Uh, Of all three of them, I think Parker probably ends up having the best season. Uh, he's probably a season he's pretty proud of. A three oh nine ERA. Shaw would be next at 3.49. Wickren's ERA got up to 5.05. He took nine losses on this season. Not good from Wickren. He had his moments, but he had moments where he was awful. Now, Parker pitched less innings, 4, 4, 43 innings to 62 for Wickren to 77 for Shaw. Shaw pitched the most innings of anyone in the bullpen. But uh, I think Parker really did the best here. The ERA plus is in his favor. 142 ERA plus to a 126 for Shaw to an 87 for Wickren. Uh, the FIP was a little better. They were all in the four point four four FIP, but it was 4.06 for Parker, a 4.53 for Shaw, a 4.84 for Wickren. Uh, Wickren, surprisingly, though, had the lowest whip. He had a 1.251 whip where the other guys were above 1.3. Uh, As far as hits, they're all around the same. They're all around eight hits per nine innings. Um, As far as home runs go, that's where Wickren struggled. Wickren gave up 1.9 home runs per nine innings. Not good. Him and Trevor Steffen really struggled with that. Steffen was up at a 2.1 home runs per nine. As far as strikeouts go, Wickren was also the best at 8.8 to Shaw, 8.3 to Parker, 7.6. Uh Parker and Whitgren did a good job of limiting walks. 2.9 walks per nine for Parker, 2.5 for Whitgren. Shaw was up at 4.4 walks per nine. Not good. Not good at all. So for a guy that got used that much to give up that many walks and still getting run out there, uh, it was he was walking a tightrope every time he was on that mound. So, as far as these three veterans go, I honestly, I don't need to see Brian Shaw again. I don't. I don't need to see Nick Wickren again. I think Nick Wickren seems like a fantastic dude, but he just, it just was not a good season for him. It was really bad. Blake Parker, he's 36 years old. I'm assuming he'll be 37 next season. I don't know when his birthday is, but in the middle of the season, before the season starts, but... I think you at least have to give him a spring training invite, right? You've at least got to give up that. But I can see them not offering a contract to Whitgrin. I think Wickren is still arbitration eligible. So maybe they hang on to him just because it's an easy contract to get done. But I'm okay if Wickren and Shaw ride off into the sunset. I really am. You know, I'm sure there'll be an opportunity for them somewhere. Parker, if they want to offer him the veteran slot in spring training, that's fine. I want to see I want to see what some of these young guys could do. I honestly think they're going to have to make room in their bullpen. They're going to have to for some for guys like JC Mahee and Sam Henches. They're going to have to. And then who else can they go out and get? Are they going to be aggressive this year or not in free agency? The last guy I want to talk about is Trevor Steffen. He's the guy we got in the uh, Rule 5 Draft, so We had to keep him in the majors all year or offer him back to the Yankees. And I thought there were moments for someone who was a starter and uh, has kind of bounced between roles of being a starter and a reliever. I thought there were moments out of the bullpen where uh, he really looked good. His strikeouts per nine are up at 10.7 strikeouts per nine. Uh, his FIP is not good 5.49. We told you about the home runs, the home runs were the big problem. Uh, the whip was at a 1.405. The ERA plus, though, was right at 100. Right at 100. So, for a guy who really, I mean, he's a young guy as far as major league experience goes. Uh, I don't know if he's that young as far as age goes. Uh, he's 25, he'll be 26 uh, in November. Uh, so he's not incredibly, uh, still still a little bit young, not incredibly long, young when it comes compared to guys like Sandlin and Garza, maybe, but uh, still fairly young and really getting his first taste of Major League Baseball. That was his first season in the majors. That's how the Rule 5 draft works. You're taking a guy stuck in the minors and you're giving him an opportunity. So I'm curious to see what Trevor Stephan can come back with, with the velocity and with the strikeouts that he has, I think there is a role for him in the bullpen. I really do. I believe in him. We'll see what the pitching staff can develop out of him. All right. So the last guy we got to talk, there's a few other names that have pitched out of the bullpen. But the last guy we got to talk about is Anthony Ghosts because that is the feel-good story of the season. That's the last storyline. Ghost coming in. Gets six appearances at the end of the season, has a one three five ERA. Uh, he struck out nine in six and two thirds innings. So it gives him a 12.2 strikeouts per nine. Didn't give up a home run. Uh, ha- barely gave up any hits, frankly. Gave up two hits. He gave up a run. He did give up two walks. So Ghost was absolutely lighting up the radar gun. The question is going to be can he use that slider at all? Right, He wasn't getting whiffs on that fastball. He was getting a lot of foul balls, which will get you into a good pitcher's count, which will get you to a strikeout eventually. right? But how many times did we see that where they didn't whiff once, but they fouled off like nine of them? So it'll be interesting to see he's going to need that slider if he wants any chance of getting whiffs. Major League hitters can catch up to 100 miles per hour. They can't do it very effectively, but they can catch up to it. It's that slider that's going to get him a lot of strikeouts. So he's got another off season. He's now got an Olympics. He's now got major league experience under his belt as a pitcher. He is definitely going to be in this bullpen next season. And I am very excited about it. I think the whole city is very excited about it. Every time that guy comes in to pitch, you can feel the energy around the team, like everybody pulling for this guy. So, Those were the big storylines from pitching. Overall, I think it was a very disappointing season. I'm not going to do letter grades or anything like that. It was a disappointing season for the starters. It was an all right season for the relievers. I think the relievers, frankly, got us to 80 wins. I mean, if it's not for the dominance that Karinchek and Klasse showed at points during the season and Nick Sandlin showed at points during the season, we probably don't get to 80 wins, not with what the starters were doing. I mean, how many times did this bullpen have to eat seven innings, eight innings of a game? Way too many times. So, yeah. So, in fact, I'd be curious. Let's go back to fan graphs. Let's just look at innings pitched. Where do the Indians rank as far as relievers innings pitched? They are, wow, 20th in baseball. Really? I'm shocked by that. For as many times as the starter got run in the first or second inning, 588 innings pitched from their relievers, 20th in baseball, compared to the Tampa Bay Rays, who, by the way, did this by choice. This was by choice. This wasn't starters getting run in the first inning. This is by choice. Tampa Bay up at 703 innings pitched for its relievers. So, yeah. So, the Indians' bullpen... And I think it was a decent season for them. I think there was a lot of encouraging stuff going on. What they do with the veterans, how they mix them in, Shaw cannot. Brian Shaw cannot lead this team in appearances in 2022. That would be a disaster. It has to be someone like Sandlin or Karinczak, right? It has to be. Class a, probably not because he's the closer. So you save him, right? You save him for a special occasion. So it probably won't be class A, But it cannot be It cannot be Brian Shaw uh, if they want to really have a chance. And if it is, you know they're probably not going to have a very good season in 2022. So, those are my thoughts on the Indians pitching staff. Wow, that was a lot. That was a lot to get through, a lot to talk about. In some Cleveland Indians news, some of the big news, because they haven't started making moves or anything like that, uh, we had a couple of former Indians pass away. And, uh, Eddie Robinson, who was the, uh, last remaining, last surviving member of the 1948 World Series team did pass away, uh, a few, does it say when it was here? Uh, in October, October 4th, a uh, hundred years old. What a run. He didn't play for Cleveland that long. He actually ended up bouncing around the league, started in Cleveland. Um, he, he, actually starting Cleveland at in 42 and then went into military service for three years and came back in 46 that 48 World Series team he hit 254 he hit uh 16 home runs on that team uh, in 49 he was an all-star but that was with Washington so he goes in place where Washington really has some great seasons for the White sox where he's mashing home runs 29 home runs which I'm guessing at that time was mashing home runs this is in 51. Was an all-star twice for Chicago. So really bounced around the league. Came back probably for a feel-good tour with Cleveland in 57. Ended up playing for three different teams in 57. So, um, yeah, Eddie Robinson. Unfortunately, I'm not the right person to talk about this. Uh, and same thing with our next story, Ray Fossey. Um, you know, I didn't get to see these guys play, Obviously. I'm very young compared to some of you. So uh, there are probably other people out there that have some great memories of Eddie Robinson. Frankly, there probably aren't that many left that remember the '48 World Series team. Uh, It's it's, it's a long time ago in Cleveland Indians and Cleveland baseball history. So yeah, uh, Ben Ray Fossey, uh, the other one who passed away, he had been calling games out in Oakland. He was a lot younger, 74 years old, again, drafted by the Indians. Uh, played most of his career with Cleveland. Eight seasons with Cleveland, only three years with Oakland, and then a stint with Seattle and Milwaukee at the end of his career. Was an all-star twice for Cleveland in 70 and 71. Uh, 70 was a great season for Fossey. hit 307, had an 830 OPS, a 124 OPS plus. Put up 18 home runs that year, his most home runs ever in his career. What a start to a career for Ray Fossey. And again, I wasn't there in the 70s. I don't have many great memories of him. I know the names, though. I've heard the names. I just can't talk too much about him. So, you know, tip of the cap to two former Cleveland Indians who have uh, passed away, unfortunately. And go check out their highlights. Go check out Cleveland, uh, you know, the MLB app uh, had a little story about Ray Fossey and posted some video highlights of him. It's always interesting to go back and look at those old baseball highlights. Uh, Something about the frame rate just doesn't even make it look real, the way, you know, the swings and stuff like that. Um, It just doesn't look the same. Like, I don't know, the game looks different somehow, uh, looking at those old films. We need uh, someone like, uh, who's the one who went in and did the old war footage? Someone, uh, The guy from Lord of the Rings went in and cleaned up the old war footage and, like, made it look like footage today. I would love to see him do the same thing with old baseball footage. Um, So, yeah, so, you know, a tip of the cap to both of those guys who unfortunately have left us. Now, last piece of news we got to talk about. We got to talk about the current playoffs because they are still playing baseball out there, and I am still trying like crazy to stay awake to watch these West Coast games because it turned out to be the best series of them all. It's the only one that goes to five games. I can't believe the Dodgers took it. I can't believe Uh, Webb for the Giants pitched so good in both of his starts, and unfortunately the Dodgers take it off of the Giants' bullpen in the final innings of that game. They win 3-2. Now they'll go on to face the Braves. Um, The Braves and the Brewers were in one heck of a pitching battle, right? It felt like one home run was the difference in a couple of those games. And the Braves come out on top of the pitching battle against Milwaukee. We told you how good Milwaukee starters were, right? Top two in baseball with the Dodgers. But the bullpen, unfortunately, wasn't as good. So Atlanta moves on to face the Dodgers. I believe that's a rematch, right, of the 2020 NLCS. i got to say I'm pulling for Atlanta in this one. I mean, I know they beat us in 95, but the Dodgers just, don't they feel like the Yankees of the NL, right? They spend the most money. Right? If they acquire talent like crazy. Um, and they got the deep pockets to do it. So you just, you kind of want to see them lose in spite of that, in spite of how much money they've spent. You kind of want to see them lose. I don't know. Uh, and then on the American League side, Boston ends up knocking off Tampa Bay. That one sucked. I mean,. Boston has always felt like the enemy because we've battled them so many times. We battled them in the nineties. We battled them in 2007 and we battled them then again in, the teens. So we've battled them so many times that them in New York just feel like the enemy and uh, they'll move on over Tampa Bay. They just started beating up on Tampa Bay's pitching. I mean, they are just incredible. And same thing with Houston, man. They just, beat up on the White Sox pitching. These two great pitching staffs from Tampa Bay and the White Sox falter in the playoffs and it's going to be Houston against Boston and Houston won uh, the first game of that matchup. So they got a 1-0 lead over Boston and a really exciting game. I mean, Kiki Hernandez and Altuve were going back and forth. I mean, Kiki Hernandez was hitting everything and they still couldn't pull that game out. So, it was fun to watch Altuve make an error that let a run come in to score a pivotal point in the game, even though they ended up coming back and winning. Like, I mean, Altuve is still public enemy number one from the whole, you know, signs dealing scandal. So to see him get a little bit of uh, misfortune in the playoffs, it, it was fun to watch. So we'll see how these series progress at this point with Boston, Houston, L.A., and Atlanta left. I guess I'm pulling for Atlanta. They feel like the least uh, villainous of all the teams left. As far as my Cleveland fandom goes. Uh, I mean, Houston. Yeah, obviously I want to see success for Michael Brantley. Uh, You know, you want to see that guy succeed. How many former Cleveland Indians are left in this thing? Phil Maton uh, pitched in that game, in that first game for Houston and was fantastic. Uh, So, Maton, even though he struggled terribly for them in the regular season, has pitched well in the playoffs. Over in Atlanta, you still have Josh Tomlin. I don't know. It doesn't look like he's pitched yet in the postseason. So, he might not have been on their ALDS roster, but he on an NLDS roster, but they might put him on the NLCS roster when, obviously, you need to cover more innings. Um, And then you've got uh, also on that Atlanta team, Eddie Rosario. So I know he was only here for a short time, but we did trade him away and he is contributing out there in the outfield for Atlanta. So those are some Indians out there that I'm still keeping my eye on as these playoffs continue. So that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. I know that was a ridiculously long episode, but hey, when you're summing up a 162 game season, there's a lot to talk about. All right, so. For show merch, if you want some t shirts, if you want hoodies, if you want coffee mugs, you gotta check out Cleveland Baseball Mornings.com. We got things for men, women, kids. Show off your pride for Cleveland baseball, right? It's Cleveland baseball mornings, not Indians baseball mornings. So show off your pride for Cleveland baseball and help spread the show's name with some high quality shirts and gear. I hope those of you that have gotten shirts so far, I hope there's people asked, out there asking you. What Cleveland Baseball Mornings is all about. I hope you're telling them how much fun we have here talking baseball. The link is in the show notes. It's my pin tweet on Twitter. So go check it out. I redesigned the shirt just a little bit. I made the logo a little bit bigger. Uh, I think it pops a little bit more on the shirt. So go check it out. All right. We'll keep talking about the hitters next episode. We'll go through the lineup. We'll go through the bench. We'll talk about who is up, who is down, who are the storylines on offense and in the field for the cleveland indians and you can follow me on twitter we'll also continue to talk about the playoffs and what's going on and as we lead up to the world series you can follow me on twitter at davy barris you can email your thoughts at cleveland baseball mornings at gmail.com let me know your thoughts on everything from the 2021 season and we'll discuss it on the show also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me to wrap up this 2021 season on Cleveland Baseball Mornings.